Zane Lowe, Apple Music. This is Hanuman, and you're listening to the Zane Lowe interview series. Thanks for joining us for another conversation. This week, Zane headed to Port Vale Football Club in Stoke-on-Trent for a meeting with the iconic Robbie Williams for an extended conversation on the pop star's storied 25-year solo career. Here we are in Stoke, but we're not at, at Stoke City, we're at Port Vale. Yeah. Um, and I, it struck me on the way here, because I was like, all right, this will be reflective. And then I thought, that's rare for you. Like, I can't really think- What, to be reflective? It, kind of, in the public eye, for sure, you don't look back. No, I don't, I don't. In fact, that's a really misunderstood part of your career is that you've been forward thinking pretty much the entire time. Um, I am two albums ahead of myself right now and about five business ideas mm. and um, two TV shows and a film. We're gonna get into all of that. Yes. But first I have to know why we're standing here and why you were looking back, even just for now. Like 25 the album, going out with the tour. This is a, you're connecting your past with your present in order to move forward is how I see it. Well, um, my management said you've got a 25 year anniversary coming up and we better celebrate it. And like you've just alluded to, I'm not a look back kind of person, but, um, I relented and said, okay, let's do it. And I'm glad I have because I've looked back and taken stock of what's happened, where I've been, how close I was to actually achieving musically what I wanted to achieve, having thought that I was nowhere near it. And it's given me a sense of um, pride and well-being. So I'm glad I've done it. Success is kind of wasted on the youth, isn't it? You just never feel it's enough. I, it's, not, it's not that it was enough. For me, it was just completely overwhelming and my head exploded, like too many fingers touching the keyboard of a computer and it just melting. Yeah. So it wasn't that it wasn't enough. It was just that it was overwhelmingly too much. Well, you know, I, I always think about like, who handles success at a certain age better than others and why? And I don't think anyone is prepared for that level of attention, pressure, the constructs of value, record sales, ticket sales, everyone wanting a piece of you. But I would say this, having gotten to know you a little bit and, and having watched you grow as an artist and a person, that you were particularly ill-prepared Ill in a way for that, right? Yeah, but like I play this game that who has got through yeah. that, come through the other side and gone, I enjoyed every bit about it, yeah, yeah. and I'm totally mentally really well, and I'm happy to continue, yeah. let's do more of it. Shall I guess the number? Do you know, here's the thing, like the first person that jumps to my head is Tom Hanks, but we don't know the real Tom Hanks, so we don't know what went on with his life. The other one who I think... I also think there's something, just quickly, and hold that thought about actors, it, what's fundamentally different between a musician and an actor is an actor is you can lean into the role, you can find something, there's a continuity with you personally and the role, put some of yourself into it, but you're ultimately reading someone else's words mainly, you're being directed by somebody else, you can inhabit the role and leave it behind. So if someone comes up and goes, mate, how's Wilson? You go, you can play along with it because you know, Wilson's not real, it's fucking volleyball. Yeah. Whereas people come up to you they're telling you how much they love you for telling them 
every secret you have. Yeah, here's my diary, and I'm going to write my diary for. Yeah, and you're either a hero or a villain. Future. Yeah. So that's just going to fucking chip away and chip away. Noel Gallagher seems to have handled extreme fame really, really well. Yeah, but his band fucking broke up like catastrophically. Yeah, but he, they still achieved what they achieved, and he's still Noel Gallagher. Yeah, but, uh, Noel's but a, rare, a rare fish like that. To go back, I was 16 years old. Yeah. But if you run through every boy band and girl band that's ever existed, we'd take that. Gary Barlow leaves the band. His career's supposed to do that, and it didn't. And he became, you know, he had suffered with bulimia, didn't leave his house. S went to sleep underneath his piano because he'd forgotten how to write songs. Incredibly depressed. Changed his name on his credit card because he didn't want people to see Barlow. Yeah, that's the lowest. Howard Donald wanted to commit suicide after he left Take That. Mark Owen's been to rehab and Jason Orange just can't do it. So that's what, that's what, the, and then there's me, you know, that uh, the mental health, the, the rehabs, the addiction, there's yeah. all of that. So. That's what being in a boy band really does. And I'm sure that, you know, in five or 10 years time, if you sit down with One Direction to a man, they're all gonna have the, their um, isms yeah. that have been caused by yeah. this machine. I wanna do a documentary about it. Maybe, maybe we should do it yeah. together. Maybe. About because boy bands and girl bands and yeah. what really happens and why fame well, does that to you. There has to be a real EQ in that story. You know, there has to be an emotional intelligence applied to that story. And um, you're a very emotionally intelligent man. Thank you very much. That's what you say, that's same. No, but you're just very intelligent. I don't know about emotionally intelligent. Back off. But you're just incredibly <laughs> intelligent. Still working on the emotions with you. The mad thing about, about boy bands and girl bands, though, that we should tie this into the tale, is that through all of it, right? Through the success, the implosion, the self-destruction, in many cases, hopefully, the rehabilitation. There's this loyalty that's baked into the fan base, which is almost, you know, military. It's almost like, you know, the worship that goes into these, into these groups of people to the point where you can reunite at any given moment and people from all ages will fly into the stadiums. And it's more than single and solo artist careers in a lot of cases. There's a falling in and out of love there. People never fall out of love with Take That, ever. What do you think that is, that trade? What I think it is when a boy band or a girl band gets to a certain stand, a certain place or a certain stature, because there's lots that fall by the wayside yeah. and can't come back and, you know, God bless them for having that sort of being at the top of the mountain at such an early age and then they have to go away yeah, and figure out, out how to live. But what I think it is with like the Spice Girls, One Direction, Take That, NSYNC, uh, New Kids on the Block, all of those people that reach that place, it's there, the fans' football team. Yeah. So it's Liverpool or it's Manchester United. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, you never stop supporting the Liverpool. experiences get etched into your DNA. Or, or, yeah. or it gets etched yeah. in. So it's like a yeah. young girls, primarily, yeah. football team. Yeah, because it's tribal. Yeah. Right, you're in that room with your people. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and you have to take a lot of shots. Like when you're at school at that age, and you're a Take That fan, there's a lot of people who are like you and your fucking Take That records, right? So you almost become bulletproof with it. You're like, I stand by this. Well, I, I saw um, the New Kids on the Block on a Saturday morning TV show, probably in 19. 
85 or 1988. 88. Yeah, around 87, 88. And then I, I went into school the next day and I was like, did anybody see, like, aren't the new kids on the plot? They yeah. were amazing. And? And, like, they were like, fuck off. That's for girls. And exactly. I was like, yeah, yeah, I ate them. Well, I ate them. Yeah. But there is still a, um, a special spot in my heart for yeah. the new kids on the block. Yeah. Donnie Wahlberg, I wanted to be him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was the only one in the band, I think, that any of the fellas could truly exactly. aspire to be. The exactly. girls had the other four and we all yeah, had, we, we had, we Donnie. had Donnie. Yeah, we had Donnie. You talk about, um, it's funny you talk about like boy bands and girl bands having that kind of um, comparison to, to football teams. Very clear, completely correct. And here we are here. And I, I think about your career. I think about it from a competitive point of view because I feel like you have kind of like moved through your career with a really acute sense of competitiveness, that it plays a part somewhere along the line. I think that's the secrets of um, a lot of musicians, a lot of musical acts, you know, I think that's the unspoken thing yeah, that happens. Unspoken. You know, you go to do Glastonbury or Coachella, I, 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 you know, I'm picking this, I'm picking this percentage out of my arse, but I guess 85% of the acts that are, are on yeah. want to win it. Yeah. They want to win Coachella and yeah. they want to win Glastonbury. Yeah. And, um, you know, with the amazing lack of self-esteem that I've really got and the amazing lack of confidence that I really have, I still want to win the world. <laughs> I still want to win at everything that I do. Today, you still but, have that hunger. And do you know what's great is, because you like, you feel kind of odd being in a musical world that is not supposed to be competitive. Yeah. You feel as though, am I the only one? But then you realise deep down, Ed Sheeran's doing the same thing. I mean, you picked an absolutely open, competitive monster here. I yeah. mean, this guy's, he's a beast. Uh, and Justin Timberlake. Beast. Absolute beast. Yeah. So, you know, there is, there is. There are peers. There is, my peers feel the same way. And I, I feel glad about that, that I don't feel like an awful human being to be in this sort of ethereal yeah. kind of uh, empathic, uh, yeah, here's my diary. Okay, but Mr. Emotionally Intelligent, where does that come from originally? As a young kid being at Port Vale here, watching your football team, that hunger, that ambition, it comes from partly from a competitive nature that gets you to a place where we can rent this out. You have a box, a it's all, it's Robbie Stadium in a way. Yeah, yeah. What drives you as a kid? Like, have you, are you any closer to figuring out yeah. what the hole is? Yeah, yeah, uh, well, it's not, it's the, um, the being like, okay, this town, yeah. the town just over there is a town called Burslem and it's got the most closed shops in the whole of Great Britain. Closed. Closed. Like every window is closed. And um, my lineage is poverty. My lineage is uh, cannon fodder, World War I, World War II. Um, it is down the pits. It is in mines, it's building canals, it's digging holes. Proper working class. Proper working class. But, you know, so I think poverty and, you know, it's the power of nout. That's the book. That's the autobiography, The Power of Nout. <laughs> See what you've done there. Yes. Quite genius. Thank you very much. But, yeah. it, but it is, you know, that mixed with my mum, who's a absolute Trojan that picked us up out of that place of, um, you know, poverty and elevated us due to the fact that she took a loan out and opened a shop and yeah. then the shop became successful in the area that, you know, 
Uh, it opened the doors for opportunity. It opens the doors for opportunity. I learned that from her and the power of Nout has given me this burning ambition and drive to go and get shit. So here's something, right? Your, your mum obviously wants to instill in you a sense of purpose in order to make something of your life. And that's what great parents do. When that purpose turns into something that can turn on you and ultimately feed into the insecurities and the vulnerabilities and the traumas and it becomes self-destructive, how does your mum relate to that equation? Because it's almost too much of a good thing. Well, um, it's all what goes into the computer program when you were a kid. You know, what mum did, what dad did, what um, your peers did, what your tribe did or don't do. Formative moments in your Formative life. moments. And, um, you know, you wouldn't send a preteen or post-toddler to go and do weight training, you know. So what happened was I wasn't fully formed when I took the journey into being a pop star yeah. and out there. So I was 16. Yeah. I wasn't ready for all of this shit. And that mixed with what happened as you're growing up yeah. with this extreme fame sort of uh, causes a huge collision. Looking back on that now, do you feel that ultimately, even at, at that underdeveloped state of your life, that you were driving that narrative for yourself? Was it you that was ultimately saying to your mom, I want this, and she just didn't know how to stop you? Or was she oh, guiding no, no, you no, no. as well? Oh, no, this was, look, I see it with my oldest, Teddy. She's 10, yeah. and she's completely jazz hands. This is my next question, right? I and mean, it's happening even faster than it was when you were a kid, potentially. Well, there's no... There's no stopping what she wants to do and who she is as a person and yeah. what she's passionate about. Yeah. And she's just like me. She's, she's a show-off. And she spends all day writing songs and dancing and acting. Yeah. And it's like, it's impossible to stop that. If I'd have been good at maths or if I'd have been good at physics or geography, that's where my mum would have pushed me as it happens. My talent that I had, meager talent that I had, was that of a show-off, Yeah, you know? And um, she facilitated uh, me being able to show off in the best possible way that I could. So the, quest, so the question is, so Teddy comes to you, and it's hypothetical, obviously, but explains that maybe a little bit younger than you were, you know, 14, 15, which seems to be when the ambition gene and the idea of being able to take some control of your identity is happening a little earlier than it was, certainly from when I was young, and says, you know, hey, I have this outlet and I want to go, like I want to go and reach, I'm reaching a lot of people. I'm doing stuff that's working. It's reaching a lot of people and I want to turn it into a business. I want to go for it. On the one hand, you have the wisdom of experience. You know the pitfalls and you know how to build it up and you'll, and you'll learn from your own mistakes. But on the other hand, you have this experience of trauma turned to success. Are you preparing yourself for that potentially or do you have any idea how you react in the moment? It's very, it's every day's a learning day with kids and... Um... I just don't know what to do about it because, yeah. you know, whereas... Same, by the way, same. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. mine was a one in a trillion shots yeah. at achieving this and being this person, she's already getting things offered to her yeah. that are yeah. incredible that yeah. I would have snapped people's hands off for at the same time. I, and I just don't know what to do about it. Yeah. You know, the... 
the I don't know the the grown up the 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 person that should be driving the car should be going no 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 you you wait until you're at least twenty five before you do anything. Yeah. But then there's another bit of me that going here's a here's an opportunity that might pass her by that she could benefit from. It's nature I and do, nurture, right? It's nature I, and nurture. I do have three other children too. It's not just Ted. <laughs> but like, there's like Ted, who's that? And yeah. then there's Charlie that looks like he's going to be my manager at some point. And the other two, you know, three and two. So I don't figuring know. Figuring it out. Yeah, figuring it out, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Like, because I feel the same way with our kids, you know, and, and, and of their age and just trying to figure out, a, helping them and guiding them to figure out a, a path, those opportunities, man. When they come, it's like, I don't know, when, I, when my kids were born, I had to take some real time to figure out how I could be of real value. Like I had some shit to figure out. And I'll openly admit, like, I, I thought I was built to be a parent, but I had to kind of almost learn how to be a parent and, and do, do away with some old learning. How was it for you? When you became a parent, were you prepared? Did it come no. naturally? No, because I couldn't look after myself. I was absolutely terrified. And I knew that what I needed and what I wanted and what I was resentful uh, to my parents about when I was growing up, yeah. that I was all of a sudden gonna be, have to be the grown up that was gonna facilitate all of those things for these precious, beautiful, brand new souls. And um, so the first two years of Teddy being on the planet, the first two to three years of Teddy being on the planet were just, I was absolutely terrified Same. that I was already messing this person up. And um, a few things, the realization that, oh, my parents were children of children who were children of children. And um, I still have that sort of guilt on a day-to-day -day basis that I'm not this kind of parent and I should be this kind of parent. And then I tell myself, well, I'm this kind of parent and that should be enough. And, you know, yeah. every day's a learning day, as I said. I, I, I'm confused by it still. Yeah. I love it. It's the best thing ever. Well, because I've seen you with your kids, man, and it's just... Awesome. Like, yeah, yeah. You, know, you bound towards each other. It's but amazing. I'm not. I'm not a Lego dad. You know, it's like that's. I, I'm not a. Yeah. I'm not a down on the floor. Let's let's figure out this stuff. I'm sort of like. I go from director of football, <laughs> <laughs> just overseeing everything. You know, like right there, lad. Good game. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Do like, a great kid. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then then there's five minutes five minutes of being the manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of the coach, but um, but not really ever playing on the field. But not ever really playing on the field. Mm. I'm. I'm there a lot, but I'm not there. What an amazing journey, man. I mean, self-discovery doesn't get much bigger than that. <sighs> yeah. And thank God for strong partners, man. Yeah. You know, your love supreme, right? I mean, the, the, the person... But, but, but like, you know, I, I, I FaceTimed Teddy today and she was just like, Daddy, I miss you so much and I love you so much. It's like something's, yeah. something I'm doing is yeah. something that yeah. is right. And yes, Ida came into my life, yeah. changed everything. And um, yeah, I, I'm... I, yeah, there is, I, I'm just going through another one of those moments that we go through where it's just like, I'm so glad I'm married to that person. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, yeah, that's, that's Well, to feel deserving feeling. of that kind of love, I think is, is a big thing, right? And I mean, I, I see this a lot in artists. It's a, it's a search for some kind of value. 
in the love department. It's, it's not really knowing what true love for self feels like. And so it's like, where do I get it from? You know, I saw Maddie yesterday. Yeah. We were talking and we were, I know you're friends with him, I'm friends with him, and we had this great conversation. He says something really interesting. He goes, um, there was a moment when he's like, I, I'm a love addict, I need all the love. I need the love of the one-on-one love. I need the FaceTime love. I need the 60,000 people in the crowd love. But I needed, all, I needed it all at the same time, which made it hard to distinguish what love was really important in that moment. It was just one big love fest and it kind of fucked him up. And I wonder if that resonates with you. Uh, well, I, when it comes to a relationship and how I went into it with Ida was I'm not going to go into it <laughs> and I'm not going to, I'm not going to get married and I'm not going to have children. No, you, no, no. Understand that. Yeah, boundaries, uh, boundaries, 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 boundaries. You know, I, I didn't think that I could be monogamous. Right. Um, I didn't think that, um, anything would last longer than, we couldn't get to Christmas. What are your plans for Christmas? Well, they're not with you. (laughs) You know, so um, I don't know about that bit that Matt is saying about the crowd and the FaceTime. I understand that, that that feels right. But in this particular instance with the wife, it was a sliding doors moment that might not have happened in the in the blink of an eye and um so you feel like it was a bit divine intervention in that regard like you're 17 years later yeah man 17 years later Amazing. and you know digging her more than day one uh, feels really good yeah yeah it feels really good yeah 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 um congratulations on everything that's happened recently dude i mean when i saw you last year we were still in quarantine and you were sort of not to betray trust but you were kicking some of these plans around and i could see you figuring out the next step i wasn't sure it was going to be a reorchestrated, reimagined version of your most well-loved songs, or well-known songs at least, on the 25 album. I certainly didn't know you were gonna break Albus's record. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a glitch in the matrix. Nah, this, you no, know, no, 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 look, you know, I, there, I, there, and that will always be in the foundation of how I feel about myself. It's so, humility. So, so no, it's not, I don't think it's humility. I think that that's the same sort of thing that Harry Styles will probably suffer with you come from a boy band and i think ultimately you feel like you're stealing someone's place right do you know what i mean because these things are reserved for alvis yeah these things are reserved this place is reserved for prince alvis george michael you know all of these uh freddie mercury and then there's just like some knobhead from Stoke that's fannying about that stole the place due to being in a manufactured pop group. And that's how it feels, you know, instinctively and intrinsically in my soul. And I've done incredible. I've done, I've stretched an elastic band from Port Vale to Mars, but I, I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to wear it, to be able to truly wear, that's what's happened and I deserve it. Just a creeping imposter syndrome at all times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And, you know, maybe that's healthy and unhealthy at the same time, Mm -hmm. that that, that there there is that. Um, But I do have to be aware to let some of the magnitude in that I've been responsible for it. I do have to let some of that in 
or else there can be a jiu-jitsu grip. Yeah, yeah. How do you get on stage and even do it if you don't ultimately acknowledge your role in it somewhere along the line? I mean, that is just... That I'm is, getting that. That's identity theft of a high level. I mean, you're literally pretending to be someone. Identity theft. You know. That's what I've done. <laughs> <laughs> I've stolen someone's identity. Yeah. In a way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You build it up and then you've got you to you like wrestle with it and decide how much of it's real well, or not. the next album title sorted out. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, you've got great album titles. I mean, some of the best and worst album titles of all time. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Standard. Yeah, standard. <laughs> yeah. We talked a little bit about the imposter syndrome before and about that sense of sort of what, how you relate to success based on where you came from versus where you stand. And, and yet I feel like 1997 was a major step for you in terms of getting at least somewhat past that because life through a lens is, as far as albums go, whilst it was a bit slow to get off the ground, once it did, it went fucking stratospheric. Mm -hmm. It's a big moment, that album. Looking back on it now, 25 years later, what are the prevailing memories you have of making that record? What was motivating you? What you were feeling at the time? Um, well, the moment I met Guy Chambers, we took off like a rocket and we wrote the first album in 12 days. And um, I was overwhelmingly excited about the fact that I could write I'm sorry, songs. did you say 12 days? 12 days, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My brain took a little while to just yeah, translate yeah. that, that, that. That statistic. Yeah, 12 days. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Uh, we came in, I think second day we wrote Angels, Let Me Entertain You. Um, wow. When within 12 days it was written and it felt intoxicating and liberating and um, especially walking away with a tape of Angels that we'd just done. Yeah. And like I was on cloud nine and he was in N17, and I decided that I would walk back to Maida Vale Amazing. in the snow. But like, I, I, it was a decision made, sort of like wandering with this tape, thinking yeah, something incredibly special at that. He needed that moment. Yeah, and then halfway, I, was, I got in a black <laughs> cab and was just like, mate, put this on, have a listen to this. And the taxi driver played Take Angels. Take me to the hospital up near the Heath, my feet have got fucking yes. gone numb. Yeah. Um, you're holding on to Angels. As the story goes, the legend at least, like I said, the album, you've got a couple of things underway. There was some interest, certainly not on the level you'd had in Take That, and then Angels was the moment. What was the timing of that for you? Did you know, were you sitting on it like, I just need this to have its own moment? Because you could have led with that. No, kind of, not blissfully unaware because nothing felt like bliss at the time. I was, I was deep in, um, self-medicating as a way to survive yeah. and self-medicating with, you know, cocaine and alcohol and, and all and sundry. Um, there was, it's a heady mix, that sort of having no self-worth, no self-esteem that yeah. I've talked on in the past, but feeling as though you're incredibly special at the same time, <laughs> mixed with cocaine. Yeah. And that is... So absolute ego and absolute insecurity. Uh, yes. Pumping. Full steam at the same time. Mix that with cocaine and, and yeah. you know, you've got something incredibly powerful for five minutes before it disintegrates into a hellish journey. At a time, let's not forget, in 1996 slash 1997 when the album came out where tabloid culture was on fucking steroids. I mean, that was like Lord of the Rings for tabloid times. I mean, it was just nuts, wasn't it? 
Okay. It's in indescribable, actually, the lack of humanity that uh, existed for the people, the, the, the sociopaths that were making money from trauma. You know, it's like, you know, trauma has a shit and then they sort of delve into the shit of trauma and pick it apart, salvage it to make money. Yeah. You know, and... Um, From people who, by the way, are willing to wallow in that shit because you're high on fucking drugs and you're trying to figure it out and it's like, this attention is great now. And so it's just, just bizarre. That's what JK was saying. It's weird, same conversation I've had about the mid-90s tailboy culture. I spoke to JK. Yeah. And he, he was the same as you. He was like, mate, if you weren't in it, you'll never truly understand what it was like at that time. No, no, it was barbaric. It was barbaric. And that being said, I'm glad we're in a different point in the world right now, in a different point in my life. And um, I can handle an awful lot more than I used to be able to handle. Um, it was what it was. And, and now it isn't, and I'm very grateful that it isn't. Oh, that was very charmingly and, and I would say empathetically dismissive of a time that was, um, you, well, are you gonna kick the ball? I, 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 do you know, I've got arthritis in my back. Yeah, I've got a bad back right now. Age sucks, right? Yeah, I can't put my foot through a ball completely. But you know what's interesting is oh I'm, my God. I, I'm playing football with one of the great semi-professional entertainment footballers <laughs> on the planet. Do you like that description? Thank you very much. No, I'll tell you what, this, this ball is rock hard. Yeah, it's not, it's not fun. But you know what's interesting about you and football yeah. is um, you can really fucking play and you've turned it into something that's for good. Yeah, soccer aid. How rewarding has that been, following a different passion that didn't become your primary passion, but turning it into a philanthropic passion? Oh, mate, it's just... You know, we've raised like 90 million quid so far, or maybe even more with Soccer Aid. And you get to fulfill a fantasy of pretending to be a professional footballer. For one day. For one day. Who's yeah. really good, historically? Oh, there you go. Who would you, who's your immediate go-to on your side or someone else's side, because it's going to entertain the bleachers? What do you mean? In a football capacity? Yeah, like who sings and dances, but is also really good? Um, well, Mark Wright is a really good footballer. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say that there's a celebrity that would entertain the masses on the field in is a way Serge that from gather... Isn't Serge pretty tasty? Serge is really good, uh, but for blood and guts, and being in the trenches with someone, which is what you really want. Yeah. Oddly enough, it's Ben Shepherd. Oh yeah, that makes sense. He's a brick shit house. Yeah, he's a stocky cat. There we go, there we go. I got one more for you. Go on. On the head. It's never, it's never. Oh, no. Ah. Thankfully, I'm, wearing I'm not editing that. Huh? I'm not editing that. <laughs> I'll have concussion. There it is. You never called me, did you? Well, you. I wasn't be, successful you, enough. You'd be on the uh, the rest of the world eleven. Yeah, and also I wasn't wasn't really hitting out here back then. Well, Still, you know, was, we'd, be, we'd be begging for you now. Okay, <laughs> we'd be begging for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking. Do you know the thing is about that is like everybody thinks I'm in charge of it, and I'm not, and I get like. But isn't that the point? Otherwise, it doesn't sell if you're, you're not the manager. 
No, but but everybody, like, I get disgruntled emails from people that haven't been invited to play. Let's <laughs> just, just, just untangle that for a second. Robbie, I'm really fucked off. You yeah, didn't invite yeah. me to your charity event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's bonkers. Yeah, it's like lead singers and, you know, yeah. presenters. Sort of missed the point a bit, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, but they get, they get really arsy with me, thinking it's like, and it's not me. It's like ITV yeah. are, are doing all of that. Yeah. I'm just the face, I'm the mascot that turns up. So please, anybody that's like offended that I've never invited them to Soccer Aid, it's because I don't invite anybody. It's not on me. 97 was fucking nuts, man. That 97 was, it was, was big. you, Tony Blair, Princess Diana, rest her soul. It was a year of transformative thrash. Cool Britannia. Yeah, man. And you came out with this album that just brought the country together in such a massive, massive way. Being that guy, having that song that ultimately introduced that album and you to the world on your terms, can you, can you try to look back and describe how that was in that moment when, the, when Life Through a Lens really connected and, and it became what it, it ultimately is? I can only think about it in the moment that I, I heard the news that because I was about to be dropped from the record company, a post-it had gone around saying, I think it's, I think we it's better. Done. It's done, we better let it go. On the Eve of Angels. Yeah, kind of. Wild. Like, like weeks before. Wild. And uh, a lot of my professional life and professional look has inhabited those sort of realms where this nearly happened, but it didn't. Right. And um, Angels comes out and it does what it does. And which meant that I get to write another album, which I was super excited about. Yeah. And off I went to Jamaica with Guy Chambers. Yeah. And we rented a hut on a beach and we wrote the second album. Yeah. And Millennium, um, let's go. And then I'd have a phone call. The hotel had come out with this white plastic phone and they'd be like, you've got a, your, your manager wants to speak to you. And I'd be like, hey, and it'd be Tim and he'd go, congratulations, Robert, the album's just gone platinum. And then like seven days later, congratulations, phone call again, Robert. it's gone double platinum. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> there was something, there was something of a champagne moment in that moment. Yeah. But I'll be really honest with you, I can't remember. I can't remember a, a lot of, you know, how that made me feel, what it was that happened. Because the flip side was you were ultimately numbing yourself in another well, way. Well, I was ultimately numbing myself, but you know, it's, uh, it's 15 albums ago. <laughs> it's 15 albums That's ago. fair, that's fair. You know, I, and, um, I'd already, I'd done four albums with Take That. We've done five all together. So I'm 20 albums deep now. Yeah. Um, and what I remember was knowing that it felt good that I was going to be able to do another album. To continue. Yeah. So I did some DJ gigs in Ibiza. I'm doing this EDM thing called Lufthouse. Yeah. And what I thought was going to happen was, I thought I was going to be an audience member, but on stage. Yeah. I, I thought it was going to be like a busman's holiday and I wouldn't have to entertain people. Yeah. Put the tunes on yeah, and then everybody, and then everybody vibes. Yeah. And then, you know, they look at you every now and again and they go like that and you go, I know I'm amazing for picking this tune. Yeah. But what actually happened was 2000 people just stood motionless and stared at me with their mobile phones. It was like the most awkward thing. I know this because my friend was involved in one of the shows and he was like, Robbie had to pivot real quick because everybody just came and stared at Robbie. Dude. And then I, I had my, I had my uh, Mac 
on the stage because it had some of the lyrics on. Yeah. And then after a while of just like 2,000 people staring at me, I just needed a break. And then I was like, quick, pull something out of the bag. So I Googled, what do garage MCs say? And it was like top 10. This and is how was, you put your set together on see, the spot. You Googled your like, set. Inside, <laughs> wait for the drop. This one's for the ladies. You see, the thing is, right, there's times when you can pretend to be Robbie Williams, but you can never pretend to be a DJ. No, no. Uh, well, yeah, no. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I did. I did for a little bit. I, I, I went to the channel that wasn't on. Yeah. So I'm just going to need a break from right. 2,000 people. And what was staring. your DJ face? Um, what did you do when you went to the channel? I can't, I can't remember. I, mean, I can tell you. Would have been, it's one of three or four. It would have yeah, been something yeah. more like this. Yeah, that's it. It wasn't exactly screw face. Yeah. Did, you, was, did you adjust the EQ? Oh, I, 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 I played with lots of buttons, but like that channel was not open. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. You were doing solos and someone was backstage playing a flying V. Yeah. Um, well, it's, I'm glad that you're out there dabbling in new things and not just you know, going back and, and reflecting on what you've achieved. Although, we have a little more ground to cover here um, in terms of that before we get to, the, to today. It's all in my head. Um, you know, I think when you were really like at that point around 2001, 2002 before Escapology and it seemed like it was just this unstoppable train, like every album, every tour, bigger and bigger, Nebworth, three Nebworths, the whole thing. And then you signed that record deal. And I have a theory about these record deals and I've always wanted to ask someone who signed one because there's only about eight of you yeah. that signed deals back then that were between 60 and $100 million. At the time, yours was the biggest. It may still be the biggest. Adal's is, but, you know, adjusting for inflation, mine's still the biggest. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But I have this theory about those record deals that, to some degree, they mark a, a, a point of real challenge for the artist who signs them. That it's, I don't know if it, make, it makes it harder to get out of bed, I don't know if it just ultimately tips you off your balance because you feel like you've achieved something beyond your wildest dreams. There's something in there, whether it's Janet Jackson or R.E.M. or any of these big bands, where it shifts the energy. Yeah, um, exactly that. So what happened was, I can't, it's 80 million or 90 million. It's 80 million eight, quid. 80 million quid. Um, it was also the apex of giant fuckery in my mind and the apex of depression and anxiety and yeah. agoraphobia. And um, that's a heady mix when you get this pile of dosh and you go, there's no need for me to leave the house now because I've got this stuff. Yeah. I think it's like the boxer that was saying, you know, it's very difficult to um, get yourself motivated to leave your 18,000 square foot house and you know your Versace robe to take that off and go into the gym and go at it again, um, and it was similar with that. Unfortunately for my record company, I'd I'd kind of made the unconscious and conscious decision that I was going to sabotage and dismantle the whole Robbie Williams thing because it was too much for me, and um, so I got the eighty million quid, and then I went right. I'm not leaving the house. And did you? <laughs> Did you and I did, I did, I didn't leave the ass for three years. Did you justify that decision in the, in the moment, subconsciously and consciously, as sort of almost a, a services rendered scenario? Like, this is a figure of money that I feel I've, I've, I'm, I'm owed because I've made a lot of people a lot of money. No, 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 no. And I can do what I want. Well, that, that all didn't make sense for a charlatan either to receive that amount of money yeah. and to be going, 
how does an artist that's just been given 80 million quid perform? Yeah. Well, I'm just, like I keep saying, I'm, I'm just me. It wasn't, it wasn't um, services rendered. It was uh, self-preservation. Right. Uh, or so I thought. Yeah, because what does money really buy you, right? At that moment in time when it's all internal, what does external really, really get you? Well, I, I then went and did Rudebox. Yeah. That was, that was my answer to being given the money. It was like, <laughs> check this out, skid. <laughs> um, but that was, that was a big case of, that was a big case of self-sabotage. It was right. like the dismantling and the undoing. I, I'd just been in the Guinness Book of Records for selling the most tickets in a day. Yeah. And um, I was doing stadiums and multiple stadiums everywhere in the world apart from North America. Yeah. And it completely caved my mind. It's like, I didn't deserve this. If you only knew who you're coming to see yeah. and all of that business and wow. And, th and the stage felt massive and I felt so small. That's and it's gotta be the definition of hell in the moment, <clears throat> you know, to be- in, in, the, in, the moment, in the moment, you know, hell is, you know, hell is your own mind when you, you know, you, you, you take that journey or that descent into um, self-hatred and self-laceration. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the record company gave me that money and then I went uh, about dismantling everything. Sorry, EMI. But now EMI have been bought by Universal and Universal have got my first five albums, so we're quits, right? <laughs> it quits, all yeah? works out. Quits, yeah? It all works out. Okay, okay. You said something before when we were setting up, and I, I wanted—I I thought it'd be interesting for people to hear it, which was, you know, the, the take that reunion, which never was until it was, and then it really was something, and I think was celebrated by everybody to a degree that we—we—I was living in London at the time, never really saw what was going on behind the scenes. We were all just having our own moment, right? We were just like, yeah, the boys are back together. This is going to be amazing. We don't really care what's going on over there. We're all going to be here dancing and having a great time and singing along. But it was different for you. It was different motivations for you and it was something else. Well, it was the perfect moment for me to rejoin the band because after dismantling the whole Robbie Williams thing and not leaving the house for three years, I realized that I need purpose because my brain was turn into Swiss cheese. Are you with Ida at this point? I'm with Ida and we cement our love and you know, I've got, I've got my lady and I'm not leaving the house, why would I? Yeah. I've been out, I've seen out, I don't want to see out again. But then I understood that, you know, when you uh, retire, you decompose and you pass away. And I Move it or lose it, right? Move it or lose it and I got that. But then I needed to leave the house and I was terrified and I didn't know how to uh, move back into my professional life without paralyzing fear. And it just so happened at the same time that me and Take That got together and uh, put together, put, put aside our, our resentments and our bitterness and there was just love in the room and I needed to hide in public. And Were you as open with the guys at that moment? Did you say, look, there's reasons to do this, but I have a specific reason to no, do this? No, 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 no. I mean, like, I realised what it was now. Right. In the moment, we'd just been the gang that I'd always wanted us to be, but weren't. Yeah. And that was the motivating factor. But while I'm on stage, yeah. I also realise, ah, I'm, I'm hiding. I'm reintroducing myself into the world 
but with the safety of my show business brothers. Mm. Mm. And looking back on those shows in that moment in time now, how important was it for the long-term relationships with everybody and kind of getting, you know, being in the band? There's a load of, there's a load of rocks in a rucksack, you know, and like I nurture grudges like I'm raising triplets. Wow. And, um, you know, there is a gift that you can give yourself if you relinquish um, the bitterness and resentments that you've got in your head. Yeah. And from that moment forward, it's not there. And my life is much better for having let go of all of that shit. I mean, there's so many other stones and rocks in the rucksack about other people, places, and things. There's a few old ones still in there. And it's interesting yeah. hearing them come out even just in the last year or so. Recent times, a few have come out. You know, the, the Robbie Oasis thing is of absolute fascination to me because you're constantly sort of elbowing each other and giving each other a hard time. And yet there, there was almost like a merger of sound at, at, at moments in time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. strong, come undone. Oh, wow. She's the one. Look, you know, here's what I think about it. But Oasis. that's not to say that they weren't also striving for, to, to re make songs as big as angels. And uh, well, well, you know, maybe they were or maybe they weren't. But like, I, ultimately, I'm a huge fan of Oasis and was, and I was there and I was part of it and yeah. it was fucking unbelievable. And, yeah. you know, it, incredible hedonism and reckless abandon and uh, rock and roll and let's turn it to 11, 12 and let's see where this goes. And um, yeah, I, I, it's part of that competitive nature of me too. And, and also, you know, is like they were gigantic bullies too to like the whole industry, yeah. everybody in it. Yeah. And um, I didn't like that. Yeah. And, and a lot of that still remains inside me. They're, 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 they're probably different people now, but there's a lot of me that's like, they're fucking bullies them. Yeah. I don't like bullies. Yeah. Um, but, but Liam looks as though he's, he's changed. Doing fine, isn't he? He's doing fine and he's rocking it. Back at, and, back at Nibworth. Look, you know, the great thing about being a fan of Oasis is yeah. when Liam comes out with a great album, yeah. I can be a fan. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's also the great thing about being resentful towards them is that when they don't, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I win on both sides. And, and, it, and it's so genuine. Yeah. Like uh, Liam's last album that he put out, there's like five or six tracks on yeah, there that yeah, are just yeah, like, yeah. I'm so glad he exists. Yeah. And I'm so glad that he is a personality out there that's um, vital uh, uh, because there's not many of them about. And especially in this day and age where pop stars can't say and do and be personalities, it's fantastic that there's a Liam Gallagher in the world. So I was great hearing you know, and watching, and to put my own per per personal politics on the line um, for a second, watching Harry come out in, in Texas the other day with his Beto O'Rourke sticker and, and you know, sticking up for women's rights and the ability to, to, to choose what to do with, it, with, 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 with a woman's body and, and, and making that point and having the camera in and then flashing it on Beto O'Rourke and the whole thing felt very, it was a beautiful ballet move of, of righteousness. And it was cool to see someone use probably the platform, the biggest platform today, the Robbie Williams platform, that's what Harry's got now, yeah. to do that. I wonder how the discussion went about that with management and him. You, you really have to do a some serious 
thinking before anything like that gets done. He's a thoughtful dude. He's a thoughtful dude, but also that could go one of several ways. Yeah. You know, he's, he's braver than I. Um, also, I'm still trying to figure out what's the right side of history. There is no hill that I kind of want to die on right now. There's things that uh, I believe I'm passionate about that I change my opinion on the next day. Um, you know, we, we are in such a state of flux and everything's changing on a day-to-day -day basis that um, I'm not talking about that particular, no, I think, yeah, that sure, particular yeah. issue. I know where I stand on that. But like on absolutely everything else, I'm still figuring it out. You know, and you are kind of not allowed to get things wrong right now. And you're not allowed to question and ask. And you, you know, and that's terrifying. Yeah. Because, you know, you want to be an ally of everybody and you want to be loving and empathic of everybody. Yeah. But also you want to go, got a question? Yeah. I've got a question. Can we or can we not? Yeah. And, um, you know, until the day that I'm sure of most things that are happening on this planet, I'll just keep my mouth shut. Man, it brings me back to being a parent, you know. There's a great lyric on the new 75 album, I like the thread here, that uh, the opening line is, you know, one of the opening lines is sort of, I'm, I'm sorry if you're born and you're 17, because it's like, even at this point in our lives, looking back on what we were experiencing versus the kind of pressure kids are under now to try to understand and put it all together, it's a complicated puzzle. Yes. On the other hand, it's super exciting to be alive right now. There's never been such an abundance of possibilities. And we are at the equivalent of the start of the Industrial Revolution with the internet and uh, everything that is happening with it and because of it. And these are heady days that we'll only be able to really understand when we look back at it. You know, I, I think that, you know, the American dream is alive and well for every, everybody in every country. You know, you can have the American dream in Stoke-on-Trent because of the internet, whatever that means. You know, you can do it yourself now, especially with things like YouTube. You know, I love the punk ethic about YouTube. It's like anybody can be a TV presenter or anybody can have their own television channel. Would you have been that guy? Would you have been Absolutely. That? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I would have, that's what I would have done. Yeah. Um, Moving forward and into a place um, of songwriting and ideas in the future, I know you've got some, some stones to turn before I feel like the path is fully clear for you there. I know you've got music. I do want to touch on that in a minute, but there is a documentary coming out. There's a TV show coming out. You know, this is, a, this is a, an era of context, right? Just this time, right now, putting everything into context. What does that mean? Who I was and how the story will oh. be told. Yeah, who I was and how the story will be told. What I actually think is, from that charlatan's perspective, is that how they're going to polish this turd for four hours on Netflix. That's what I do think is like fucking hell. Is Netflix the new EMI? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. They're going to polish. And, and, and like, you know, Netflix, we're going to make an incredible documentary <laughs> because you put some very, very creative people in charge of what's about and to happen. And I only happen. get daylight robbery once. Yeah, daylight robbery happened once, yeah. But um, it's, I, I know that I want to break form with what documentaries have been in the past. I don't want it to be, um, you know, just... Uh, a biography archive, channel. Archive yeah. footage yeah, yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Talking, talking head. Heads. I want it to be completely different from that. Recreations? 
recreations, animations, embellishment, imagine, fantasy, imagination, yeah. fantasy would be yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. So, so it's not going to be a, a, like a, a clinical retelling of your life. I, we, we've discussed it and it's not going to be. Let's see what happens. Yeah. You know. How much of it's going to be a surprise to you? How, 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 like, how much are you holding on to the reins here? Well, you know, we had a meeting the other day and we were sort of like, we're going to break, we're going to break the fourth wall and we're going to break with tradition of what normal documentaries have been and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I was like, great, 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 great. And then I left the meeting and I was like, nobody told me how they were going to do that. Yeah. They just said words. Yeah, yeah. You got pitched. <laughs> we, yeah, I got pitched and I'm like, I'm in. I, I yeah. bought it. Um, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to getting it done. And I'm looking for, I just really want it to be entertaining. And I really want to not waste people's time when they watch it. I want them to come away feeling happy that they spent that hour or those four hours in my company. I want, I want it to be valuable to them. You know, for you to get to a point now where you want to go on tour and you want to play stadiums and, and arenas and you want to bring these songs to life again and, and, re, and tell your story in a, in, in a valuable and imaginative way, suggests that a lot of those bridges that you've struggled to cross for yourself, from yourself to yourself, that you can look in the mirror now, right? Like who do you see now when you look in the mirror? Somebody that is capable of enjoying the third act of their life, that wasn't capable of enjoying uh, act one and act two. Um, and those things like the biopic that's coming out next year, yeah. like the Netflix things that's coming out, these are all vital things for me to put some wind behind my sails for Act 3, you know, and um, I relish the thought of what's to come. I love my job. I've got the best job in the world. And um, my, my kids arriving on the planet have given me that gift, that perspective that, oh, okay, daddy goes to work. And now because I call it work and because I say daddy goes to work, it's my purpose and I get to enjoy it and I get to love it and I get to be excited about the possibilities of what I'm creating and where I go next and who I can be and what I can do. Have you been able to better understand and I guess nurture that kid who wrote Strong, which I actually think is one of the most telling lyrics of Act one and two, which was to me one of the most overt cries for help dressed up as a stadium anthem. All, all, the, all, the, all the songs are cries for help. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, it's all about mental illness. It's like there's two, there's two speeds that I do and it's like... I'm the king of the world? Uh, uh, no, massive bravado. Yeah. I'm the best thing yeah. that you've ever, yeah. you know. Or why aren't or, you coming or, to my aid? Yes, or would somebody help me before, you know, yeah. I, I do something ridiculous, yeah. you know. Um, but your question was, have I been able to nurture that person? Uh, I don't think it's a question of nurture. I just think that the kids have done something to me that has changed my perspective on how I view the world. Yeah. Plus, I'm getting more comfortable in my skin, not totally. Some days, 
you know, I'm, I'm full of anxiety, don't feel comfortable around people, don't want to leave the house, want to isolate and want to stay in bed. But there has been a shift and a crack in the sky where the light is shining through. I love it. And there is possibilities. There is possibilities to uh, inhabit a different way of being and a different way of feeling about my time on the planet. I actually really enjoy being at this sort of point in my life in me terms too. of maturity. Yeah, me too. You know what I mean? I don't look back on my youth at any point and sort of go, oh, if I could redo that, I just, I just actually like getting to a place where I suppose experience kind of matters, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I, I feel as though I am being allowed to be the best version of me more so than... Space, right? Being given some space. Yeah. But it's like you've just said about that tall poppy syndrome and being a threat to people. I think that once you um, age, and so do they. It takes the edge off it yeah. for people. Hey, yeah. what's your, do you have a, so I listened to everything pretty much before this. I like, I like reacquainted myself with things and heard things for the first time because you made a lot of music. Mm -hmm. Do you have one that, that really, makes you feel something more than the others you can almost admire from a distance? No. I do. Yeah, okay, which, what is it? Dude, I think No Regrets is a masterpiece. Oh, it is, yeah. It's a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Even it's though I say, I say so because I can point to everything else and go, no, 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 no. That's a masterpiece. The way you and Neil Tennant bounce off each other. Yeah. Is it Elton in the back? No, no, no. It's, Who's uh, doing the really, really baritone? It's Neil Hannon from The Divine Comedy. Well, and there's a female voice in there? I don't know is that, that you? is. I, don't, I think that might be me. <laughs> and it's, then there's, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> if I could. You're too short to carry weight. <laughs> it's got if, the humor. If I could, um, if I could point to, oh, there it was. Yeah. The thing that I wanted to do when I left Take That. Yeah. I think it's that song. So good. In that song. What's with the fucking nudity, by the way? What, with me and nudity? Yeah. I don't really know. I haven't dived into why you, I do that. Can I give you like the, the amateur yeah, psych psychiatrist take on it? Yeah. I think you're just trying to reveal everything before anybody can take something off you. I think maybe, <laughs> I think maybe that's what it is. But also, I, I've got a huge problem with my body image. I've got like a body dysmorphia and I pile on weight and then I can lose weight. And I always think quick, get a picture of me while I'm at this weight. Right. So there is, there is a, a, right. a, a record of it having existed. That's right, I get it. Strip while you're winning. Strip while you're winning. Yeah, quite like that as an album title. What was the other album title from upstairs? Um, there was, uh, I've been expecting you, and then no, there was, no, 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 no the no. worst one. Oh, no, 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 the one you came up with. Oh. Identity Theft. That's good. It's yeah. got to be better than Reality Kill the Video Star. Fucking hell. No, that was quite good. Oh, it was too knowing. Really? It was a, bad, it was a bit bad. Okay, let me ask you this. Is Listen Without Prejudice a bad album title? No, I think it's genius. That's great. Yeah, but like I was coming back from three years self-imposed I know, but it was the whole like video killed the radio reality star yeah, killed the Trevor video. Yeah, but <laughs> Trevor Horn from, from The Buggles produced the... Okay, all right. But what's the that. worst cover? Take the Crown? Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, 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 Reality Killed the Video Star, that's a shit cover, it's just me on a bike. What the fuck does that say? Thanks for listening. For more conversations, don't forget to follow this show and leave a review. Zane will be back next time for another episode.